It's fairly well known that human beings tend to be creatures of habit. Thus, change can be an especially challenging proposition. Now, when it comes to the workplace and major transitions within an organization, it's the leaders who need to be prepared for all sorts of reactions. If you are listening to this and you're a leader of an organization, understand that when your team reacts to change, they are not consciously reacting to that. They're not making a choice to react in the manner that they are. They're running a script, and those scripts are involuntary. They just run automatically. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Muma. You're listening to Management Decisions on LJN Radio. Hamish Knox joins us on the show as we discuss some key points from his book, Change the Sandler Way, Understanding the Human Dynamics that Cause New Initiatives to Succeed. He's going to give us a fascinating peek into the importance of recognizing human behavior when it comes to change. Thanks for coming on the show, Hamish. Thanks very much for having me, Tim. Now, this is an intriguing topic because it's something that you know everybody goes through at some point in their life, and that's the idea of change. And, of course, we're speaking specifically within an organization. The first question that pops in my mind is, what does make change so difficult or challenging when you're talking about these changes within an organization? Great question, Tim. The, the short version is because when we talk of change, we talk of the action. So we don't have a benefits plan today. We're going to have a benefits plan tomorrow. We, uh, our offices and our employees are located in this building in this part of town today, and they're located in this building in this part of town tomorrow. It, it's, like a, it's like a light switch on off. What leaders, uh, executives typically forget is they have all these humans in their organization who have all these feelings and reactions and emotions related to change because, you know, our brains still think we're on the plains of Africa. Uh, and it used to be that when change happened, it usually either meant you didn't eat or you died. And mm. oftentimes, if you didn't eat, you died anyways. So we're still wired to look at change as not a good thing. Interesting. Now, you mentioned leaders. What exactly is their role? And I'm sure that we could talk hours on that specifically. But in general, what do you see as a leader's role when you're talking about viewing these changes or helping people adjust? The leader has to remember that they went through everything their employees went through, but they went through it way back when they first started thinking about making this change. So if a leader is going to think about moving their 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 company, uh, whether that's to another part of town or to another city entirely, they went through all the emotions, uh, the four stages of transition that's documented in the book uh, that their employees went through. But because they went through it so long ago, uh, human beings tend to be present-focused creatures, hmm. they forget. So when they roll out the change and you know, their, their employees don't automatically go, great idea, boss, glad you did this. Uh, they're like, well, what, what the heck's going on here? Like, right. this is clearly obvious, right, because they went through all of that already. So three things the leaders need to do, they, the three gifts they need to give their, their people are permission, protection, and potency, uh, permission to have these reactions, um, and, and permission to, to, to fail, um, they need the protection that when they are going to have these, uh, you know, little freak out moments or, or, you know, are not right on board right away, the, ma- the, the leader's not going to be like, listen, my way or the highway, mm-hmm. get on, get off. And then finally, potency is the tools in the change context. It's the tools to navigate through the stages of transition successfully or to make the conclusion that, you know, the direction the bus is headed is not the direction I want to go in. I'd like to get off the bus right now. <laughs> and to be able to have that in a nice adult conversation. Sure. 
Now, you've mentioned a couple times the four stages of transition, and we won't go into details on all four, but would you be able to enlighten our audience on, one, what are the four stages, and then maybe pick one out that you see as being most important, or if there's something unique about one of those four stages? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the four stages, chapter headings-wise, are denial, resistance, exploration, and commitment, and you know, of the of the four, and and some people never get out of you know the the earlier three stages. Once they're in commitment, that means they're doing the the behaviors that are required to implement, manage, and then ultimately complete the the change successfully. Mm-hmm. The the thing is in resistance. Uh, there's a cliche out there that it's the quiet ones you gotta watch. Right. And that really applies when it comes to resistance, because there are people in an organization who, when a leader stands up and says, this is what we're going to do, they will put their hands up and say, boss, great idea. Love it. Can't, don't know why we didn't do this before. And then they'll go back to their desk, and they will either um, overtly or covertly resist that change. You know, if they're overtly resisting the change, they're you know gathering at the water cooler to use a, a very current reference, um, and and you know fomenting discontent and about the change and res- and creating resistance that way, mutiny essentially. Or they're going back to their desk and they're just sitting there, for lack of a better term. They're they're not doing the behaviors that are required to to change. So leaders need to be very aware of what their employees are doing mm-hmm. much much more than what they're actually saying as it relates to the change because they may have someone who on the surface is like you got to be kidding me this is ridiculous and then two days later they're your change champion hmm. let's say that a leader does find there's some sort of you know you you labeled it as mutiny but maybe there's a groundswell of this you know negativity or almost this push against these changes what does a leader do in that circumstance? Obviously, every situation is going to be different depending on what exactly totally. is being said and done. But is there a general guidance you could give someone who feels like, I don't know if this is ever going to work with this person or this group? Absolutely. Um, and it's going to sound really counterintuitive to your audience, Tim. Stop working with those people. Stop trying to cajole and convince those people to get on board because they probably never will. And, and mm. traditional change management strategy has been find the complainers, uh, find those, find those, uh, you know, the, the change deniers, uh, and, and really, you know, work to get them on board. Fact of the matter is human beings are either open-minded or closed-minded to any piece of information that comes their way. Sure. And if someone's mind is so closed to the idea of, you know, we're ordering from a different coffee supplier for the break room, um, <laughs> If they're closed-minded to that, well, then nothing you can say or do is going to open their mind to that. Uh, you know, Sandler has a rule that says you can't convince anyone to buy or you can't sell anyone any, anything. They have to discover they want it, and it's the same thing in change. So what I talk about in the book is when you announce a change, your audience is going to split or your, your team will split basically 20-60-20. The top 20% are your change champions. They're on board right away. The bottom 20%, they're your change deniers. They're the closed-minded ones. Uh, you would probably like them to be, go more, be more successful elsewhere as fast as possible. And in the middle, you've got this middle 60% of fence-sitters. And they're, they're not opposed to the change, but they've been through too many flavor of the month programs. A lot of veterans end up in this, in this 60%. Okay. Um, and 
and they want to see some proof points first, right? They want to see that this is not just another flavor of the month thing. So what, what, what I recommend to leaders is work with your change champions to turn them into peer coaches. Now, you have to ask their permission for that. You can't just go in and say, Tim, you're a peer coach. Go, go, go <laughs> propagate the change. Um, but the people who are on board from day one are the ones who are going to be better equipped to go to that middle 60% and bring them on board. It's kind of like having grandma or grandpa tell your kids uh, some life lessons that you've been trying to bang into their head for nine months mm. as opposed to you doing it. Sure. <laughs> That, I think a lot of people can relate to that one, uh, certainly. <laughs> Talk a little bit about the DISC, the idea of DISC, D-I-S-C, mm. and how that plays a big role in change and handling the different people that are involved. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really key component because DISC is, DISC is really a, a communications model. It's how do you like to give and receive information? And again, human beings... Are pre- tend to be present focused, and we also tend to communicate in the way that we like to be communicated with. So, um, you know, uh, DISC just for the audience. D stands for dominant. I stands for influencer. Uh, S stands for steady relator, and C stands for conscientious or compliant. Um, Ds tend to be very thirty thousand foot bottom line type people, very active, very very goal oriented. Is tend to be very people oriented, but with lots of people. Um, you know, they're the, fan, the people who have five thousand friends on Facebook. Um, S S dominant people tend to uh, are people oriented, but they're people that they know. They're very family oriented. Um, you know, they're the type of people who have three three friends on Facebook, but any of them can call any of them anytime, day or night, and they'll be there for them. And they've probably known each other since they were babies. And then C's are uh, facts and data people, process oriented people. So. Hmm. Uh, when leaders um, are announcing the change, they, they really need to communicate to all of those groups, and they need to communicate to those groups in, in all those ways. So I'll give you an example. Um, let's pretend I'm a, I'm a leader, and I'm going to be announcing a new uh, customer relationship management uh, software program. We're going to implement that. So I would say, you know, group, as of November the 1st, we are going to be implementing a, a CRM across our entire organization to better manage our customer relationships. We do have a lot of support documents built so we can, we can support you and all of your team members in implementing this effectively in the way that it works best for you. Now let me walk you through my, change, my, uh, my implementation strategy step by step by step. Hmm. So in that, I just hit D-I-S-N-C. It does go in order, by the way, because we listen for the information that we want. So as a D, all I care about is when's it happening and How's it going to affect me? Well, I got that in the first three seconds. The <laughs> I-dominants are looking for the shiny. They're looking for the fun. They're looking for the exciting. So I got that next. You know, it's really fun. It's really exciting. The S-dominants are like, okay, well, how are you going to support my team? Because S-dominants are more team-focused than personal-focused. So how are you going to support me? And then, of course, the C-dominants want to hear, let me, let me know all the details. Like from step one through step 27, how is this going to work in order? And every member of the audience tunes out when they get the information that they want because human beings are self-interested. So uh, if if as a leader you are not formatting your communications in that order, you are leaving out a large chunk of your your audience because I and S dominant people, uh, the numbers change a little bit, but they're more than 60% of the population. Um, are either S- I or S dominant. So, so you, you really need to make sure that you're talking to everybody in your team as opposed to just basically talking to yourself. 
Well, and that's fascinating stuff to hear because I think so many times people just do what they want to, say what they want to, and not, you know, as you said, take into consideration who's listening and what they need to hear. I could see where that could alleviate a lot of the problems if you do try to make sure you're matching that up with the people you're speaking with. So even in our conversation here, I hope that people listening to this can have that as a takeaway. Obviously, if they want more details, uh, then that's what the book is for. That's what they need to check out. Absolutely. Another thing that came across uh, just in you know doing some research on this was the idea of a belief wheel. Can you explain a little bit of what that mm-hmm. is? Yeah, uh, one of one of David Sandler's core concepts was this concept of the belief wheel, and 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 it really starts with uh, your outlook. And so, uh, human beings can either have an outlook of limitation or an outlook of possibility, and essentially, glass half empty, glass half full. Easiest way of thinking of that. Um, our outlook informs our beliefs. So, if I have an outlook of limitation, um, I will tend to have a belief that change is bad, and mm-hmm. and that means all change is bad. Like, doesn't matter what the change is change is bad. Well, then when my leader, and let's pretend I'm a salesperson for a second, and my leader comes out and says, new compensation plan. Well, there's some changes in there. Well, I'm going to make a judgment. So the the next stage of the belief wheel is judgment. I'm going to make a judgment that if all change is bad, my belief is all change is bad. Well, then my judgment is, well, then this change must be bad. This new compensation plan must be bad that judgment will prompt me to take actions, uh, which is the next stage, or inaction, uh, which in this case is, pro- is I'm likely to just continue the behavior that rewarded me under the old compensation plan instead of under the new compensation plan. And of course, those actions are going to create results, which is the next stage, the results being my total take-home pay goes down because I'm doing the old compensation plan, not the new compensation plan, those results just reinforce my belief that all change is bad because my compensation went down and the cycle repeats over and over and over again. Um, And in the leadership group that I run, they have rolled out the belief wheel in their organizations for every situation. So when they're doing a coaching session with a with a, an employee of theirs and their employee is really struggling with uh, with something that they've been tasked to do their leader just brings out the belief wheel and says, okay, great, let's talk about your your outlook as it relates to this project. What are your beliefs? What are the judgments you're making? What are the actions you're taking? Here's the actions I've observed you taking, and clearly here's the results that you're getting. So how do we... How do we change your beliefs a little bit so you can be effective and, and complete this project in the manner that I've, I've asked you to? Hey, Mish, again, this is uh, terrific stuff for people to know and understand. And, of course, they get a lot more details if they check out the book, Change the Sandler Way, Understanding the Human Dynamics that Cause New Initiatives to Succeed. We like to give our guests a chance to uh, give our audience a final takeaway from our conversations. What would you like to leave them with today based on our conversation? Either something you'd like to reiterate or something new you'd like to mention before we uh, sign off here. The one thing that I really want the audience to take away and something we haven't quite talked about yet is all of us carry around scripts in our head that relate to change. And we got those scripts from our our parents and our grandparents and our other authority figures when we were young. And so uh, if you are listening to this and you're a leader of an organization, understand that when your team reacts to change, they are not consciously reacting to that. They're not making a choice to react in the manner that they are. They're running a script, and those scripts are involuntary. They just run automatically. So remember, permission, protection, potency. Allow your people to have those those reactions, but then you, then guide them down the path of, okay, are you on board with this, or do you need to go be more successful somewhere else? 
Hamish, appreciate all the insight. Uh, Again, I encourage people to check out the book. Uh, Thank you for taking the time and giving us all this information. We do appreciate it. Excellent. Thanks for having me, Tim. That's all the time we have for this edition of Management Decisions and our guest, Hamish Knox. Some terrific insight into change and how leaders can effectively make organizational transitions. If you have any feedback on this or any of our shows, send an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com or reach out to me on Twitter, Tim underscore Muma. And please check out all of our episodes on iTunes or on our resources page. You can find that at localjobnetwork.com. Thanks once again for listening. I'm Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.